G'day uh, and welcome to another SciFlix chat on Tune FM. Uh, my name's Marissa and I host the SciFlix uh, film events that we've got down um, at the Belgrave Cinema in town. The next one we've got lined up is Finding Nemo. Um, and to talk along with Finding Nemo, we have UNE's resident marine biologist, Dr. Chris Goatley. Thank you very much for joining me. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> We often joke that you're Australia's most inland marine biologist. Is that really true? I think it is. Um, <laughs> I, I actually, when I first got here, got out of Google Maps and started measuring distances from universities <laughs> to the coast. And I'm pretty sure that I'm, if not the furthest inland, I'm pretty close to it. <laughs> because you came to us from Townsville, right? Yeah, so, from JCU in Townsville. Yeah, so yeah. you could just get in the ocean whenever you wanted. Unless you, if you were worried about getting eaten by crocodiles and, and, and stingers, you, you might want to be a bit more careful. But yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> that seemed closer to your research area, though. It was easier to organise fieldwork and things like that? Doesn't actually make that much difference. Because okay. even from Townsville, I had to fly somewhere, generally um, to Cairns and then out to an island on the reef. Where, okay. And from here, it just adds another flight in. So it's really, yeah, in terms of the ability to do marine research, it's not that much more difficult here. So you kind of have the best of both worlds. Like you can sort of, you know, have your, your country lifestyle and you can also, you know, hit the reef when you need to. That's it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's start by you telling us a bit about the research that you do. I really want to know. So my current research focuses on some of the smallest vertebrates in the world, some of the smallest backboned animals that there are. The, and I'm, I study these tiny little coral reef fish, which we call cryptobenthic fishes. It's a horrible word. It just means camouflaged little fish that live on the seabed. Um, and these things, when I say tiny, I mean it. They're like, <laughs> most of them are sort of 15 to 20 millimetres long. Oh, so small. Um, and that's as big as they ever get. And that's um, the adult size. That's the adult. Goodness that's, gracious. that's the biggest you'll find. Um, some of my fish are up to maybe 50 millimetres long, but that would be a monster for me. Enormous. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you get into studying cryptobenthic reef fish, the really tiny ones, instead of the big ones you can see? Uh, when I first got to Townsville, I started doing... Uh, some help helping out on some field trips and um, we yeah. did one of the things we did on this field trip was collecting these tiny fish at Orpheus Island out on the reef and it's just great fun um, <laughs> it really is it, it's it's ridiculous the, the sampling them is ridiculous we take you take um, mosquito nets and tents underwater and then you have to anesthetize these little fish with clove oil and and yeah because you can't see them no. these fish went so if you're swimming along on a coral reef counting fish. Um, You'll always miss them, right? You always miss these. Oh. There was a, a colleague of mine did a did a study where he swam along counting fish normally and then he literally crawled along a patch of reef, scaring everything he could with his fingers. It took him... Out of know, the sand, right? Li or, um, even just on the rocks and okay. around from the nooks and crannies in the coral. He literally spent two hours sort of oh. working along 50 metres of reef, scaring everything he could and counting it. And then he compared it to what we're getting from these anaesthetic tents. And he found that even doing, you know, a two-hour crawl on a reef, he was missing half of the fish there. Jeez. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I, I'm a big snorkeler. I love snorkeling. I've been up to the Great Barrier Reef. And you see so much cool stuff. But to think that there's just like a whole – it's like an iceberg. Like yeah. there's so much stuff that you don't even notice. And there are people who are like, oh, yeah, I see them. And it's like, yeah, you do. You see the odd one sh yeah. shooming away as you swim by. 
but you're only seeing like one fifth of these tiny little fish that are present. Yeah. And so um, what is their role in the reef? Like, why are they so important? So the things that these little fish do really well um, is basically die. Um, <laughs> so these tiny little fish, when we, when we actually sample all of them, like I said, we use this anesthetic technique to get everything that's in a patch. And what we find is there's like 20 to 30 of these tiny little fish in every square metre of the reef. So there's a heap of these little guys around. And But when you actually look at how heavy they are, mm. they only account for like 1% of all of the mass, all of the weight of fish on a reef. So in terms of like the, 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 the weight of fish present, they do nothing. But because these guys get eaten so mm. often, they've evolved to maintain their populations. Some of these fish only live three weeks on the oh, reef. Wow. They spend about five weeks doing things they spend three weeks as a planktonic larva out in the blue they then settle on the reef and grow up for 10 days and then they have three weeks as an adult so these tiny little fish we've got loads of them that live really really quickly and then they die and the reason they die isn't because of old age Mm. they get eaten Mm -hmm. so you get loads of sort of small to medium-sized fish that chow, chow down on these little guys And then they've evolved to be able to cope with this. So their reproductive cycles are really efficient. They get loads of babies. Literally, it's raining babies on the reef. (laughs) Um, And these tiny little fish are constantly being replaced. And it's their their ability to replace themselves after they get eaten that makes them so important. So they're like really supporting the whole food chain in in reefs. Like we wouldn't appreciate that, but... That's yeah, what no, they're doing. They, yeah, exactly. They're, they're a constantly replenishing oh. supply of food. And the things that eat them are the small things, and then they get eaten by bigger yeah. things and bigger things and bigger things. So these things are really the foundation of yeah. a lot of these food webs. And things, you know, if you want to go out and catch a fish that you that's sort of plate size that you want to eat, there's probably five, six, seven levels of predation that's happened but it will have probably been supported by these tiny little crypto fishes. Absolutely. And what do the cryptos eat? Do they eat algae or what sort of things? That's a really good question. So one of the things we're trying to find out is what these guys are eating. So basically, there's lots of them and it's a really scary life if you're a crypto because everything wants to eat you. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that they eat anything they can uh, because they, 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 they haven't got enough time to be picky. just go for it. Yeah. So, but what we're thinking is they're probably eating the detritus, which is the sort of the waste products uh-huh. of reefs. It's, it's bits of algae that have fallen right. off. It's bigger fish's poo. It's, so they're really important recyclers as well for waste on the reef. That's what we're, we're presuming, is that these things are really critical in taking this potential waste that would otherwise just get washed off the reef and putting it into their tissues and then getting eaten, recycling this yep. waste up back into the food chain. But they're really difficult to study because you can't <laughs> see them. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you tackle that? Is that is that you're going out and clove oiling them? Is that what you do? So, yeah. Mostly? So there's a couple of ways we're going at it. One of the ways is, yeah, we're collecting these fish by clove oiling them, mm-hmm. which is, yeah, the anaesthetic sampling. We collect them. And then, obviously, if you want to look at what's in their guts... That's headache, my microscope work. Yeah. Yep. I work on small things. So I appreciate yeah, Exactly. <laughs> but one of the other ways we can do it now is using sort of fancy modern technologies. You can scrape out their squishy gut contents and essentially put that into a magical whiz-bang DNA machine. Oh. 
that then gives you DNA barcodes of everything that they've eaten or as close as the the barcode library has in it. And one of the things that I'm doing is I'm actually coming at it from a different angle is I'm using a micro CT scanner. So I'm making 3D models using a very fancy x-ray machine where I can make a 3D model massively magnified of these tiny fish's heads and by doing that, you can treat them almost like a machine and work out what they can eat. Ah. Say so you can work out how strong their jaws are, what their teeth of their are doing. Skulls. Exactly. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And so um, I, I get the impression that the cryptobenthic reef fish aren't necessarily that widely appreciated. Is it kind of a new area of marine study or marine science or, or is this something that's been going on for a while? It's sort of, it's something that I think a lot of the the sort of old marine biologists sort of knew. It's mm. really annoying with, I don't know how it is in your field, but what you find, you find something cutting edge and then you talk to some of the old specialists and they're like, oh, of course, yeah, I know that. Oh. But they've never actually, but it's just been assumed and they've yeah. worked on the thing that they like. Right. In terms of actually calculating their their importance and doing really intense studies yet it's something that really in the last 10 15 years has massively started to increase yeah and if you look at even the number of species that are being described we we did a paper i worked on a paper with a friend a while ago and we calculated that so basically most of the big fish have been identified because they're big and easy and you swim around and go oh that's different Whereas these tiny things, no one studied, and they're really difficult to see. So what we did is we actually calculated, or we we worked out how many new fish species had been named, and big fish and little fish. Mm. And the number of big fish being described is declining. The number of little fish is massively increasing. Yeah. And we calculated that in about five years, there'll probably be more little fish known in known to science than there will be big fish. Well, that sort of makes sense to like when you think about how many there are around that we just haven't really appreciated. Exactly. Like. Yeah. Oh yes. And also they're camouflaged and tiny, so it makes them <laughs> a headache. <laughs> I was wondering about, I mean, we all know that climate change is putting pressure on reef systems and um, people study corals in that respect. But what about the cryptobenthic reef fish? Are they, did we know how that climate change is sort of affecting their populations? So we've got some information. The thing is, wherever you go on, on tropical, subtropical, even temperate reefs, you'll find some of these little guys. Mm. They're in pretty much every habitat. But what you find differs hugely Mm -hmm. so if Mm. you so what we've what we've worked out recently is that these things have got incredible um habitat specializations so if you're swimming around looking for a specific an individual species you'll really quickly get your eye in that you have to look in a dead coral that's got an overhang under it with some algae growing on it and that's the only place (laughs) you'll see that species it's they're so specific so if climate change comes along oh, and course. the corals bleach and if the algae grows, that's half of those microhabitats shifted. Mm. But there's another species waiting to come in. Mm-hmm. Okay. The thing we don't know is if they do the same jobs. They definitely won't feed on the same things. We don't know if they get eaten as well. So I did some work where we collected these fish in multiple reefs across the barrier reef. So close to shore where you get scared by crocodiles. Uh, to the mid-shelf and then out to the outer barrier reef where it's like amazing crystal clear. And what we found that at each of the three zones we went to, 
the most common fish in, in the crypto community was completely different and it was really common. But at every reef we went to, the actual rest of the community was totally different. Uh, so these things are so variable. And I what you see. get is mm. it's pick and mix of these little tiny fish. We don't know what's there. And at this point, yeah, we don't know what they eat. Yes. So we don't know what they're doing. And and you also, I guess, you know, that the effects of things like climate change is quite difficult to predict when you haven't got that sort of base knowledge about the whole system first. Like, yeah, so, that's hard. Yeah, we with the with regards to these sort of clove oil tent samples, mm. which are like the best way to sample these fish, there's something like 30 or 40 locations on the planet that we've done these this sampling technique. Whereas people swim around and count fish tens of thousands of times every year. Uh, um, I feel they're under, underappreciated. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I had one question that when I was wondering about the cryptobenthic reef fish, and maybe it's because I'm, I, I'm a paleontologist and I think about their evolution, right? Like, um, do you know about their ancestors? Do they, come, do they evolve from something big that's become, had pressure to become smaller or are they um, always small <laughs> and filling this sort of ecological niche? What's really interesting is we've got some really good fossil records of, of fishes. Well, slices, at least. Yep. So there's a few Lagerstatter, so these yep. crazily good um, fossil assemblages. And there's one from Italy, which is probably the, the, the sort of the best. And it's from 50 million years ago. And 50 million years ago... A lot of the reef fish families and even some of the the, the sort of genera, the, the sort of little uh, group of organisms lower down than families, were, were present that we see today. So there are beautiful fossils in the Alps in Italy that were swimming around 50 million years ago. And you can look at them and go, oh, yeah, I can imagine what swimming on this reef would have been like. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, there are none of these tiny little gobies. Mm. And the, most of these cryptos are, are from a family, uh, family called the gobies, some are blennies. But mm-hmm. there, aren't, there aren't fossils of these guys from the best reef assemblages we have of these ah. fossils. So it seems like they're a relatively new thing. And our, mm-hmm. what, what, we're, what we're presuming is that this is the time when coral reefs started to become what they are today. Mm-hmm. Um, so... After the Eocene, so after 50 million years ago, the reefs then were probably a bit more like they are in Moreton Bay now. So sort of like corals and uh, loosely associated corals Mm -hmm. rather than these incredible sort of barrier reefs and things that we see. Yeah, exactly. So there's probably there was probably just fewer nooks and crannies to yeah. to let these tiny fish hide in. Mm-hmm. So the evolution. So as the evolution progressed, some of the fish became smaller. Oh, look! Um, I I benefit from being small because I can yep. live in a tiny hole. And it's yeah, absolutely. What we see when we look at the whole sort of like family tree of fish is we see that the groups that have become cryptos, it's obviously quite hard oh. evolutionarily. That's a horrible word. Um, (laughs) So when you've got uh, species that become tiny, uh, it's pretty much all or nothing. So a whole group will become Uh, tiny. So mm -hmm. like the gobies, there aren't many big gobies. No, they're they're little, aren't they? Exactly. And the blennies. There aren't many big blennies. They're all tiny. What's your biggest blenny, you reckon? Oh, there might be some that push 15, 20 centimetres, oh, but monster. they'd be weird. Okay. Yeah, there's the odd goby in the in the east in Eastern Europe where you can sort of take a fillet off them. <laughs> but they're but they're really unusual. The normal ones are five centimetres long. Yeah. Um and yeah, I think I think it's the sort of ability these fish have evolved to 
live in this habitat. But obviously, if you get eaten every couple of months, you need some other evolutionary ad- adaptations mm-hmm. to be able to survive that. You need something special to do with reproduction. And these fish seem to do some crazy... What we- yeah, what do they do? So do they just make a lot of eggs? Is that how it works? No, nah, because oh. these things are tiny. So oh, you can only of course. fit... <laughs> can yeah. really make a lot you, of eggs. Like a, a coral trout swimming around the reef, so a big chunky fish that you want to eat, one of those might weigh three, four kilos, and it'll make three million eggs at a time. Crikey. These cryptos, they can only fit a couple of hundred eggs in their, in their bellies. Oh. That's all they can do. But what they almost all do, which is really unusual for reef fish, is they look after their eggs. Oh, I see. And what's really cool is it's usually the males. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, lots of the little gobies make little nests and they'll find a little hole and they'll glue their eggs to the ceiling of the, of the nest. Uh, there's cardinal fish, which are really common. It's the males hold all the eggs in their mouths wow. for the whole time. Uh, there's even some cryptos that give live birth, which are really un- was really unusual in fish. Goodness. Um, and there's one that I particularly like. That's liked. a good way to give them a great start. Like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Push them out how, how they want to live. Yep. Yeah. Most of these little fish, they, they look after the eggs, but after they hatch, they still go out into the blue as a plankton for okay. three weeks. Okay. All right. um, but it's the... At least they don't get eaten as an egg. Yes. They, they, you know, there's half, half of the jobs done. Sort of sorted out. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I think um, one of one of my favourites is there's a, I think it's a toadfish that the male keeps a mass of eggs under its pectoral fin, the fin on its side. I like to think of it as armpit brooding. It, it keeps it keeps a bundle of eggs in its armpit, yeah. like a little football yeah. under the. Oh, yeah. that's very cute. I like yeah. that. Um, so with Finding Nemo, um, where are the cryptobenthic reef fish in Finding Nemo? <laughs> Not cool enough. Didn't know anything about them, or what? What? Sh- where should they be? You know, they would be. Honestly, they'd probably half to be, half be the equivalent of the insects crawling yes. around because that's what these <laughs> things do. Um, things like clownfish are just on the edge right, of what okay. we consider cryptobatic. And they brood. Fish. They brood their eggs as well, exactly. right? Exactly. So clownfish are, are, are in a group of fish called the damselfish, and they're pretty much all sight attached, grumpy. And a lot of them have like make nests and look after their eggs, which is really unusual for the bigger fish. So these, so the clownfish and the damselfish are on that edge uh-huh. of are they a crypto or are they not? And a lot of the young damselfish, like Nemo would be, yep. would be collected in our tents. I see. Um, and right. they're they're on the edge of are they aren't they? So okay. Yeah. And so when you say they're grumpy, so they defend their little anemone patch and they're where they're... Is that what they do? Oh, yes. Or, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a friend who has a scar on her hand from being bitten by a clownfish. <laughs> That's appalling. <laughs> well, see, I felt like, you know, Finding Nemo did this thing where I think it got lots of kids into marine biology, and I think that was a really awesome thing. But I think as well, people really wanted clownfish as pets. Oh, they, they're, they're gorgeous animals, and they've got lots of character. Yeah, sure. Um, they're jerks. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and so, tell us about the like the marine biology in Finding Nemo. Like, as a marine biologist, do you watch it and you go, "That's great," like, or this really captures it, or is it like not quite right? For the most part, it's really good. Um, what Pixar did really well is they actually talked to lots of marine biologists. So I was just over in the States and the guy I was working with in the lab, he was actually an advisor on Finding Nemo. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, the, 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 the obvious thing they got wrong in Finding Nemo is 
Marlin, so Nemo's dad. Uh. Um, the thing about clownfish is they live in this anemone. And the anemone provides them protection because it's it's got stings. It's basically a jellyfish glued to the seabed. Um, and the, the clownfish live in the tentacles of this anemone. And they basically acclimate themselves mm. so they don't get stung or don't react they to the like stings. They have like a mucus or something? They've got mucus. And, okay, and, and, yeah, yeah, and they also sort of let the anemone know that it's them or some, really? some witchcraft. Yeah, they, they manage not to get stung. <laughs> some kind of strange uh, communication, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And, and and I think it was initially thought that they teach the anemone not to sting it, but the anemone, I think the stings are pretty much automatic. Oh, yes, so of course. It's, it, so more recently it's been shown that these things are probably just getting used to the stings and hmm. building up this mucus coat. Okay, cool. Um, but what's cool about clownfish is they basically spend the whole life there. And they live in these big family groups. I mean, three like in Finding Nemo is not unusual, but sometimes you might have eight, nine, ten, or eleven on these big anemones. And there's one female mm. in this group, and the females are the biggest one there, and she's the big grumpy one who will swim out and bite you, like like my friend found out. <laughs> and then all of the sort of medium-sized fish will be male, and then there'll be some juveniles in there, some some babies, mm-hmm. and. The biggest male is usually the one who reproduces with the female. If something happens to the female, like she gets eaten by a barracuda in Finding Nemo, within a couple of weeks, that biggest male will change sex. (laughs) So in Finding Nemo, the biggest flaw is the fact that by the end of the movie, Nemo wouldn't recognise his dad because his dad would be his (laughs) mum. I love science. That would be a very different kind of movie, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it would, it would be quite sort of, yeah, open and and, yeah. and, and cool. But that's right. Um, I'd I'd watch that for sure. You, you um, might have to do a bit of explaining. Yeah, that's right. But that's <laughs> that's the science, right? That's yeah. probably something we can talk about in the cinema. Yeah. Um, in the on the week we do the um the film, um, and so um a film like that, and also they've got the um sequels and things. Yeah. of Finding Dory. Like I was saying, they've got really good, or they've done something really good to get people into and kids into marine biology. Do you see that, or is that something that? needs to keep happening or what's your impression about that sort of um, aspect of a film like that? I think it uh, marine biology is one of those subjects that generally doesn't lack interest. Like people are always keen on being marine, marine biologists. biologists. <laughs> I think once they find out it's uh, a lot of it's about mud and worms that... Um, <laughs> they, they, I always, my, as a paleo, my impression of biology and marine biology was just mucus and poo. Yeah. Like uh, that's yeah. really like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it, essentially. Yeah, mud I mean, and worms, yeah. Yeah. Um, but on the whole, I think it's done a lot of good. Mm. Um, I get really annoyed when scientists start calling clownfish Nemo. Uh. But... <laughs> You know, that's. I'm sure it's the same with paleo, with with dinosaur people yeah. in Jurassic Park. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, do you find? Um, see, with as a paleo, I guess my and I'm an invertebrate paleontologist, and my biggest gripe is that like people just love dinosaurs and they just froth about dinosaurs and they forget everything else. And actually, dinosaurs comprise a very small part of the history of life. Um, is it the same in marine biology? Does everyone just want to like work on dolphins? I think everyone wants to, but there's just in in reality, there's not that much to do with dolphins, um, or they're just really hard to work on as yeah, well. Yeah, sure. So, so yeah, um, there's definitely 
as there is in, in, in paleo with vertebrate people against invert people, there's in, in tropical marine biology, there's definitely coral people and fish people. We, uh-huh. we don't talk. Oh, no. really? That's no, we great. Do, we do, we do. But <laughs> <laughs> you're either a coral person or a fish person. Right. And then shark people are just weird as well. Oh, I see. <laughs> there are factions. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. there's the mud and worm people. Yeah. I'd probably associate with those guys. <laughs> Okay, and so I have a, one last question for you, and we have to get a bit creative. Yeah. So I was wondering that if you could write um, a screenplay for a Finding Nemo sequel that starred cryptobenthic reef fish, what would it be like? I can imagine now, because we were talking about the brooding of the eggs, you know, that there would be – I mean, maybe it would be quite short because um, their life – their lifespans are quite short. What are you thinking? How would you put that film together? It might be more like a horror movie, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I think you'd be. It would be quite dark. You'd be spending lots of your your life in sort of creepy yeah. caves, and and there'd be lots of ten. You know, every time you go outside, you'd be at risk of being eaten by anything slightly bigger than you, and also you'd be constantly trying to eat anything that's slightly smaller than you. Yes. So, okay. so I actually did a bit of work where I um, put uh, what we call mesocosms together. So you have a fish tank and you make it as close to a natural bit of reef as possible. But then I put in a group of fish that I knew exactly what was there and then mm-hmm. left it for a few days and saw what was left and found out that if you're 11 millimetres difference in length... That's where you stop being friends and you start oh being my food. Goodness. So if someone's eleven <laughs> millimeters smaller than you, you will stick it in your face and eat it. So yeah, and, and that is the, terrifying. And that's the same with growth rates. Like it, some fish will just grow faster than the other. And it, so if you're sat around with your group of friends and one oh of no. and your mate starts growing a bit bigger than you, oh no. they'll you know one day they'll turn around to go. Oh, I think Delicious. I can fit you in your mouth, uh, in my mouth, and and just eat you. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think a, a, a crypto it would be definitely a bit bit dark, bit dark, dark, yeah, confronting. As, yeah, there'd be there'd be rapid losses of of characters. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm you know I can I can sort of imagine it starting out really nicely with them brooding their eggs and looking after their babies and things like that, and after that it just like goes haywire. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you'd be swimming around on your little bit of you'd land on the reef. It would be gorgeous. And then someone would start giving you a dodgy eyeball and you're like, oh, hold on a minute, I've got to run away from that. <gasps> and then, yeah, then you'd probably have a, a, some tender moments in the middle where you're making this nest and you're looking after course, the eggs. that's right. Which is really unusual for fish. Most fish on the reef, at least, just sort of swim out into the blue. Yeah. One releases eggs, one releases sperm and they wash away. And, yeah, and that's hope for it. the best. Job done. Yeah. If 1% of those larvae come back survive then you're all that's good that's awesome yeah that's romance hey yeah cryptos <laughs> you, if one percent come back they're gonna die out so they need to be successful so yeah these things would yeah the movie would be yeah i'm imagining mm. lots of and you've got to imagine what it would be like to be that small on a coral reef it would be like being in a giant forest yeah yeah you'd be underneath everything giant corals that and in the shadows and yeah there are also little little parasites on reefs that oh. that feed on fish a bit like they're basically the reef equivalent of mosquitoes. Oh my goodness. So normal fish these little th- little crustaceans swim up, drink a bit of blood and it's very similar to to mosquitoes in the fact that they drink blood to make so the females are the only ones who drink blood and they get it to make the protein to make their eggs. Yes, okay. These little things called nathids, nathid oh. isopods 
are all over the place on the reef and they they and if you're a normal sized fish it doesn't matter it's like a mosquito bite if you're a crypto it's like being parasitized by a cat um <laughs> <laughs> these things are huge in in relative size to oh them. So we find when we collect these fish, you'll find, you know, these things with a a, a nathid isopod attached to their tail, and it's oh, half wow, the size of their tail. Like I'm getting a bit of a like Honey I Shrunk the Kids kind of vibe as well, where That's every it. you have to kind of imagine what life is like when you're really really freaking small, you yep. know, and. Like being parasitized by a cat is terrifying, and I'm also thinking um, about mantis shrimps. You know, oh. those are those are terrifying to me, and I'm huge compared to a mantis shrimp. They're probably really important predators of these mm. little cryptos. Um, yeah, anything, literally anything. Those things shoot out of a hole in the sand, and they will just take you out. Yeah, like. they'll grab you or they'll punch you, and <laughs> yeah. then then eat you. Yeah, it's over. Yeah, and there's loads of little mantis shrimps in the reef crevices as well. There are crypto mantis shrimp in the holes that the cryptos want to live in. So, yeah. I, oh, my God. It just and, gets worse and worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, literally everything wants to eat these guys. That's why they're so important. Okay, well, um, maybe we'll have to workshop the idea before we pitch it to Pixar. <laughs> but we can think about it. <laughs> I think there's there's definitely room for the, the adult. You know, yeah, that's the, right. The mature version of, uh, of Nemo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I think we're going to have to wrap it up, but that was an awesome conversation. Thanks, Chris. Um, and, yeah, we'll see you down at the movies in a week and a half. No worries. See you there. Cheers.